Hi, and welcome to the Hand in Hand show where caregivers and survivors have honest discussions about stroke. We are a part of stroke-focused podcasts. This is Cam, your host. If you are a survivor, a caregiver, a researcher, a support group leader, or a local business helping the stroke and brain injury community, Stroke Focus is offering a number of exciting programs. Get details at the end of this podcast. Hello, everyone, and this is Cam, and you're listening to the Hand in Hand Show, a part of Stroke Focus. Today, we're here with Rick. He is a stroke survivor, and um, we're going to talk to him and find out about his story. Hello, Rick. Hi, Cam. How are you? I'm good. So you had a stroke. Can you tell me how long ago that was? It was March 15th, 2015. And so what happened? Or Did you even know that you were having a stroke at the time? Uh, no, I didn't. It was quite a shock. I basically, I have a bad back. I broke my back about 10 years ago, and I have a lot of back trouble. On a Friday night, I went into a severe lockdown in my back. Uh, I couldn't get up from a chair. So I was worried, of course, and I, my, my wife took me to the hospital emergency, and uh, they found nothing. So that repeated on Saturday night, and it repeated on Sunday night. And finally, uh, a doctor on Sunday night said that he thought he saw a scar on my brain that might have indicated a former stroke. And he asked me if I'd ever had one. And I said, not that I I know of. And so then he said, well, I think I'm going to send you to a heart specialist. I went to the heart specialist on Monday morning. Uh, My brother took me in a wheelchair now. And because I couldn't quite hold my balance correctly. And after I left the heart specialist with a monitor, still thinking it was maybe a heart problem. I got home, and suddenly I went to reach for a bottle of Coke on my table, and I couldn't squeeze the bottle. I'd lost my strength in my right hand. And then I went to get up, and I couldn't get up, and couldn't walk. I couldn't stand on my legs. So then my wife called the ambulance, and I was transported to the local hospital. My experience at the hospital was quite unique. The neurologist was not in town. Uh, it's a small town. And so they uh, took me by computer, like we do, to an analyst in London, Ontario. And over the over a web, let's call it a webinar, she analyzed my situation and determined, yes, that I, I was having a stroke or that I had had a stroke. And she couldn't tell how long ago. But she said it's pretty well progressed. They attempted to give me the drug. They, I think they call it the clot buster. Other than leaving me a huge bruise on my leg, it didn't do any good, unfortunately. And then I spent the next seven months in the hospital. It sounds like you didn't show any of the normal things that they look for with the stroke, the facial drooping or the arms or or any of that, they even were thinking that maybe you had had a stroke previously and didn't know it. But actually, it sounds like you were 
in the process of having a stroke, and unfortunately they weren't catching that. And Quite frankly, I still had no idea that this was a stroke that I was experiencing. There was no pain other than my back, and I, that was indeed when I sat down, but uh, I experienced no pain. I've always thought that a stroke would give you like a, a bolt of lightning in your head or something, and it would be very painful, and you'd feel it coming. So uh, when I got to the hospital and after they diagnosed me, I was still in shock. And, uh, but I was also, uh, paralyzed on my right side, uh, with losing both my arm, my hand, and my leg. Uh, luckily for me, I did not suffer from aphasia at all. Well, they worked with me for, um, my speech therapy, which I guess is routine to them because I was a little bit different than normal. I didn't have aphasia really. About your recovery, you said you spent a while, it sounds like, in the hospital or in a rehab-type facility. That's correct. Seven months undergoing physiotherapy and so on. They took, uh, I'm a fairly big man, and they it took three physiotherapists just to ha- hold me sitting up on the side of the bed because I had no balance. I was, uh, I was fall over. My, my abdominal muscles and so on had all disappeared as far as I was concerned. I didn't have them anymore. And uh, so I went through this treatment for uh, several months, which didn't seem to do much. And unfortunately, I, I got the old adage from the doctors, as well as the nurses and physiotherapists, that unless I was better, after six months, I was done healing. And that really upset me, but I guess, you know... <laughs> As we all think, I guess the doctors know what they're talking about. So when I get into my seventh month in the hospital, I just said, well, if I'm finished healing, if if this is the way it's going to be, then I want to go home. And fortunately, that's what occurred, and I have an extremely helpful wife. She's 100% with me, and she has helped me this last few years uh, cope with everything that goes along with the stroke. So have you continued at all uh, with any outpatient therapy? Yes, I did 12 weeks of outpatient therapy at the hospital, uh, physiotherapy. And uh, in Canada, that's uh, our rules in the hospital are that if uh, you are only allowed, after discharge from the hospital, you are only allowed that 12 weeks. and, And then you're on your own. And that was very discouraging to me because it seemed wrong. It seemed that I should receive more treatment. And, you know, because I really wasn't getting very far, but that's the way the system is. I wrote letters and so on to the government and uh, asked why I was being told that I've had my maximum of therapy, both in hospital and out. And now I was on my own to find somebody uh, which I have done, and I've worked with three different physiotherapists and did a tremendous amount of reading, listened to a lot of stroke focus uh, broadcasts, and I learned a tremendous amount about stroke. And now my I would say that the most problematic uh, situation to me is my emotions. It, it's not so much physical pain. I... Uh, luckily, I'm not in uh, 
any pain at all other than my back has kicked in full force. But again, I don't know whether there's a relationship or there or not. And the doctors don't seem to be able to determine it, a relationship between my back injury and the stroke. But my biggest challenge has been morbid experience in depression and a feeling of uselessness. And I'm out of society now. Uh, as a former businessman, I was very active uh, with a close to a AAA personality. And now suddenly I was thrown in a wheelchair and uh, I didn't know what to do. I, I was like a, uh, I called myself the old crippled man because I was going around his wheelchair and most of my working uh, on my stroke was learning how to use a wheelchair because nothing else was really helping me. So that from there I have done more research and uh, got in touch with a rehab center in the United States in California. Uh, have purchased uh, some product from them, uh, which I have found works very well. Uh, there's also a camp uh, coming up. Uh, they have them in several areas in the United States again. I feel like I should become a citizen because most of what my research is steering me to the United States, but some very, very good people. So very helpful to be able. That's great, though, that that you're able to research stuff because a lot of people aren't computer savvy. Because of that, they don't learn about other treatments or they don't learn about different ways of doing things. We have found in doing these podcasts that even if you had a stroke 25 years ago or something and you start exercising again or you start doing you know, some sort of a program or something that you can get better. I mean, you won't see the results that you see in those first three to six months, but you can still get better. And so good for you for looking for things that might help you now and in the future. I First of all, I tremendously enjoyed the I was involved in your podcast at Stroke Focus, at Stroke Focus and I uh, enjoyed it tremendously because it's survivors talking to survivors and it's, it's real. It's not, oh, I understand. Well, a person that hasn't had a stroke, they don't understand the, you know, the, the, the emotion, the, of course, the physical problems and the long feeling of use, uselessness to society. And especially when you get older like myself, uh, you're thinking more about, then you start thinking too much about passing on to the next life and not enough about this life. So that's very dangerous looking at your future in such a negative way. And, uh, that's what I think, uh, requires the most help from professionals. And I think doctors and, uh, anybody in the medical profession, they should learn that don't just treat the physical. That may come, may not come, but a person can survive, but the emotion is liable to cut short that survival if that's not treated because nobody, whether they're good health or bad health, can stand to exist that way. And uh, I, I, yeah, that's what scares me the most as uh, on the uh, stroke podcast that I was involved in. One lady was saying, 
that she was so angry and she's going through bursts of anger. And I, I thought, well, you know, I'm not the only one uh, that does that because I do it sometimes say, why me? What happened? Why is it me? And what, why did I deserve this? And I get very angry at the whole situation because I went from looking forward to my retirement and our, our using our savings, our hard-earned savings for my wife and I to enjoy ourselves. But really, my turning point, I think, has been communicating with other people and understanding that I'm not alone out here. And I think the the more we concentrate on that aspect, the more the survivors are going to progress. Right. Absolutely. A lot of people don't understand the emotional side to this or the depressive side, I guess, of this. Because when you have a stroke, they do watch you, or, or at least my doctors did, for depression problems in that area. I mean, I know that I cried. Like, you could tell me to pick up a plate and I'd start crying. I, I mean, that's the simple part of it. But, but basically, that is kind of what it was. You know, and I've had bouts of, mine weren't very long. It was a day or two where I would just be devastated about anything that happened, that if something went wrong, you know, I was crying, I was upset, you know, nothing would go right, you know, all of this. And after you've had a stroke, it is easier to fall into this because you do. You don't feel you have a purpose anymore. You've had a major life event, and you have to find your new self. And this is kind of what you're saying here, and it just reiterates what I already know, too. It's very good, though, to hear it from other people. Like, for me to hear it from you, it tells me I'm, I'm not only am I not alone, but what, what I'm feeling is not weird because yeah. the emotion you talk about, the crying and so on, I was one of those macho male guys, you know, I I never cry and uh, I don't show tears and all that kind of thing. And now, then suddenly I, I would watch a television show and if we come to a gut or a heart-wrenching part, I would start to suddenly cry. And I really, really cry. And I, I didn't understand why until, you know, again, my research led me to uh, documents I found about depression and how much it accompanies a stroke. And uh, it sure is nice, uh, not nice, but good to hear, Cam, that you've had the same experience. Mm -hmm. And it makes me feel that I'm not quite as weird as I thought I was. You are not weird. None of us are weird. Unfortunately, we're just a little different than we were. And we have to learn to work with that. My crying, I always cried for me during movies and stuff. Uh, Not commercials so much, but... But movies, cartoons, whatever, I always did that, even before the stroke. But then after the stroke, it was like there could be a commercial come on, and it was like, why am I sitting here crying? But, you know, there, there were just different things, and I've talked to others who also have that. One lady related a story, and many people may uh, understand this, too. She was mall walking with her husband. Now, she is using a walker at the time, and, you know, they were window shopping as they walked, and, and 
she just started crying I, just uncontrollably. Her husband hadn't done anything, trust me. <laughs> and people actually stopped and asked her if she was okay and if she needed help and, you know, what this man, asked what this man had done to her, you know, so she kept saying, you know, it's nothing. It's, it's just, you know, she couldn't, they didn't understand any of it because they hadn't been there. They couldn't believe that she was just crying like this. So it does help people to know that it's okay that this happens. People who have not had a stroke won't understand it. Even if you're standing there saying, I'm okay, you are still sobbing uncontrollably and won't believe it. But at least people stopped and asked if she was okay. So these things happen. That happens. Depression, unfortunately, is part of it. And that happens too. Laughing inappropriately or things like this, that that's all part of it or can be a part of it, depending on where your stroke is. I'm thinking after this long that maybe yours is better, your crying is better, you don't do it as often now. That's correct. It's improved. But I, yeah. I still, I still even watching a television show as recently as last night, we were watching a very good movie. You could see that it was going to head, head into what I call a, a chick flick moment when it was going to get very sad and it was not going to have what I would call a good ending. And I stopped watching the movie. And my wife went to another television in the house, and, and she watched it by herself because I knew, or I suspected, that I would burst into uncontrollable tears. And uh, it's, it's still a very foreign feeling to me. And uh, thankfully, I, I've been fortunate because I have improved, and it's more just around my wife that this happens. With strangers and so on, it doesn't seem to occur as much now. It's simply my family and people I feel close to and I love that my emotions uh, overwork, shall we say. Yeah, I used to, if I was making a phone call like to one of the utility companies or the phone company or whatever, I would actually tell them, you know, I have a brain injury. Um, if I start crying, it's not you, it's me. And I said, just give me a minute to compose myself again. I said, but when things get overwhelming as I'm trying to talk to you, I'm, this may happen. You know, I haven't done, had to do that in a long time, fortunately, but I would. I, you know, they would say, oh no, that payment's due, you know, tomorrow. And it's, you know, different than what's on your bill, but you know, that's, you know, and I would just, I couldn't process that, and so the crying would start, or they'd tell me stuff that I didn't want to hear, and I'd just hang up. I mean, my hand would just hang up the phone. I didn't want to hang up the phone, but at the same time, you know, that was just, it, it would just happen, and, and I'd have to compose myself and then call them back. But so these little, I don't know, oddities happen to us, and but you're right, it's good that that we let people know that it's okay or that it gets a little better. So is there anything before we end today that you would like to tell another survivor? 
Well, the first thing I would, again, emphasize is if you are computer literate and you have the opportunity to join a a discussion with your uh, fellow survivors to definitely uh, get involved in stroke focus with uh, yourself and other people that are more than willing to help, like Daniel, and uh, make sure that you get yourself an opportunity to talk to to other survivors because it's more like it's 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 a psychological therapy to talk to other survivors and it makes you feel like you used to feel you are back you are involved you're being useful you're helping others and hopefully that will be returned to you and that is the biggest thing because I feel the emotional problems are the toughest to get over. If I sit in a wheelchair for 10 years, that's okay. I can manage to live in a wheelchair. Uh, you know, at least God kept me here. And that means a lot. I was a survivor. I could be otherwise. And so now let's just get positive. Let's get our emotions in order. Start to once again to feel useful, pursue things, find out how how you can do things, uh, again, a computer uh, is necessary for some of it, but certainly not all because there's so, so much information out there and people want to help that all you have to do is take the initiative to pursue it. And uh, but I'm, I'd love to fish. And I found a website now in, uh, around my neighborhood. We have tremendous fishing here. And the, there's a group of people that have organized fishing positions for disabled people that are in wheelchairs. And uh, they also steered me on the fact that I could buy a fishing rod holder, that I can buy a camera holder to fit on my wheelchair. And now I'm starting to feel, wow, this, this is not so bad. I'm still doing what I've been doing anyway. I just, I just ride and sit a walk. So, uh, yeah, I. that's the biggest thing for me. That's good to know also. I know there's a group in New York that's for people with disabilities, and they have planned expeditions to different things, and these people have had strokes, and so they do go skiing, and they go probably fishing or something, but they do all sorts of outside things. Mm-hmm. Um now, some of the people are able to do things much better than others, but they've learned how to work it for people who are handicapped, either in wheelchairs or, you know, walkers or canes. And so there are things that, that everyone can do. I know here in St. Louis, there is a group that also works with people with disabilities to help them do certain types of sports. And I don't know all about it because so get out there, guys. Do things. Find out what you have in your area. Rick, I want to thank you so much for being here with me. I think that you had several things that were important uh, for other people to know that they're not alone. And I especially appreciate the fact that you talked about using the computer and finding out different things because I think that's a huge help these days for people finding out information. So thank you. I hope everyone here has enjoys this 
show with us, the Hand in Hand show. And uh, we'll see you on the radio next time. Thank you very much, Cam. Much appreciated. This is an announcement of Stroke Focus. Stroke Focus has opened up its blog section to all its members. It is a professional platform, completely free and very easy to use. It provides instant visibility to know how many views your blog is receiving. At the same time, we are helping members put stories on our podcast. You can get a professional quality radio broadcast to share on Facebook, Twitter, or post on your site. For all our members with aphasia, our audio editors will help make your interview smooth. Do not need any professional equipment. No interview will be published before you review and approve it. There is no charge. Join us at HTTPS colon backslash backslash www.strokefocus.net or write to us 